I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is Please Go On, where we go deeper with the author of an important opinion piece. This week's is unusual because it's illustrated. And what led up to it started last month when Fairfax County Public Schools here in the D.C. suburbs pulled two books from high school libraries after parents complained to the school board. One of the books, which has been removed in school libraries across the country, is a comic memoir called Gender Queer, written by our guest, Maya Kobabe. There are queer teens, I promise, in every single high school where this book is being challenged. Now, book banning has emerged as a central issue in the final days of the Virginia governor's race, the most important election of 2021. During a debate last month, Democrat Terry McAuliffe defended his veto of two bills that would have allowed parents to opt their kids out of reading certain books. But McAuliffe explained his position inartfully. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decision. So, yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. You know, I get really tired. Now, Republican Glenn Youngkin is filling the airwaves with commercials that highlight that gaffe and feature a mother who says her son was terrorized as a high school senior by reading the novel Beloved by the late Toni Morrison. I talked with Maya Kobabe about what it's like to get caught in the crossfire of the culture war. I live in California, so this is about as far away as you can almost get the continental United States from where I live, right? So I'm in the middle of working on my second book right now, and it's really interesting to have all this attention pulled back to my first book, which came out two and a half years ago at this point. It does seem like it's very tied into a couple different political races and a lot of campaigning and ads and things that almost have nothing to do with me. And why do you think that's happening now? Do you think this is a backlash to LGBT progress? Do you think that this is a political election season stunt? I think part of it is a political stunt. I think part of it is the fact that there's just more and more awareness of trans and gender nonconforming and non-binary identities. And because it's just more and more in the media, it's just more and more talked about, right? But it also seems like there's been this domino effect of, in a piece written by the Washington Post, I read that the first mom who complained about genderqueer in Virginia read about a case of the book being banned in Texas. And so she looked up the book because she'd heard about this previous Texas case. And then since then, it seems like there's been about five other cases of people reading about the book being banned in Virginia and then going and banning it because of that. So it kind of seems like, yeah, one media blow up leading to the next, leading to the next, leading to the next. Hopefully it's also been good for sales, too. (laughs) It actually has been good for sales. (laughs) Yes, we just put out the fifth printing of the book. It's in stores now, and it's twice the size of the previous printing. So, yeah, the media attention has had some weird silver linings. It is amazing how you you use the term domino effect and you have a great illustration in your piece of the dominoes falling. And there's this sort of contagiousness of fear or whatever you want to call it. But let's take a step back. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be uh, an illustrator and an an artist and a writer. I'm a non-binary queer illustrator, author from the Bay Area, California. I use the pronouns EM air. I think comics are just a wonderful 
medium. I think there's a lot of things you can do with images and words together that are harder to achieve with one or the other alone. And I also think that comics are extremely friendly to a queer and trans author, partly because when you're drawing yourself, you get to present yourself whatever way you want. You get to present yourself how you see yourself. And that can be really valuable, especially if the society is not tending to see you as you see yourself, right? Even if I was writing in prose, you know, if I was writing a memoir in prose, the reader would be making their own mental image of what I look like, right, as they read along the words. But in drawing it, I can say, oh, this is how I look, or this is how I want to look, or this is how I see myself. I consider myself a very private person. I'm definitely an introvert. And I started writing comics about gender, not thinking I was writing a book, but as a project to come out to my family and my friends and my sort of extended community. This was back in late 2015, early 2016, when I had recently finished grad school. I'd come out as queer as a teenager, but it took me like 10 more years of wrestling and questioning and meeting people and conversations to finally start coming out as non-binary. And a lot of that was because there was so much less representation when I was a teenager of trans and non-binary characters, identities, all of this sort of stuff. So I didn't really see and meet other trans and non-binary people until I was in my early 20s. I started coming out and I, I have a very loving and accepting family, which is wonderful. I still live at home with my parents. We have a very good relationship. Even as I was coming out, I started to have a lot of conversations with people where I was saying, you know, I want to start using these new pronouns and identify as non-binary or genderqueer, which is like not male and not female. And I was getting a lot of people being saying things like, we love you, we support you, but we also have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I actually emailed these comics to people in my family to come out. I emailed them to my aunts and uncles and I emailed them to my grandparents to be like, this is what this means to me. This is my attempt to explain what I'm saying when I say I'm non-binary. And I started sharing them online. And I initially thought the only audience for these comics was people who actually knew me in real life. I didn't assume that people who didn't know me would find them interesting. But they immediately gained more traction and more attention and more response than any of the fiction work I had published up to that point. And people were responding to them really strongly, saying things like, I feel this way too, or I didn't even know there was a word for this, or reading this work makes me feel less alone. Reading this work makes, helps me know myself. And after sort of about a year of posting them online and getting that kind of response, I was like, oh, maybe this is a book, actually. <laughs> And it was only after all of that experience that I then started actually pitching it as a book to publishers. To your point about illustrations, you kind of remember from, you know, the excerpts of your book, the, uh, you know, your dad being at a beach as a chaperone on a school trip and taking his shirt off. And so you take your shirt <laughs> off yep. and everyone else sort of freaks out. But that was one of those memories that just occurred to you of gender questioning. The memory you're describing, I'm about eight years old. And yes, my father was a, a chaperone on a school field trip. And we went to like a, a river and a lot of kids were, were going into the river and wading. And, you know, a lot of the boys were taking their shirts off. And my dad took his shirt off to just sit on the, you know, sit on the river beach. And then I also took my shirt off because I was sort of like, well, other kids are doing it and my dad did it. So it must be fine. Um, and I really didn't think anything of it. I wasn't trying to be rebellious. I wasn't trying to make a scene. It just, it was just something that didn't even seem like a big deal to me as an eight-year-old. And then and my teacher very kindly was like, Maya, you need to put your shirt back on. And I was kind of like, why though? And I did. I didn't, you know, once she said that, I didn't, you know, disobey or anything. I was just kind of like, huh, what's going on here? I, it seems like everyone's making a fuss of this and I don't really know what it's about. And uh, yeah, that's a memory that 
looking back on it as an adult feels very potent and sort of like, you know, weighed with, with different connotations. But as a child, it was just this very simple moment. Let's fast forward to the night of September 23rd. You were tagged in an Instagram video, right? It looked like a city council meeting with an angry woman talking about something at a podium. You didn't turn the sound on. You just deleted it. Tell me about the string of events that has put you into the, the national spotlight. I mean, it was quite late. It was at least, it was maybe 1 a.m. or something. And yeah, I just got tagged in an Instagram post and someone, you know, wrote like, here's one of the sickos who wrote that awful book. And I was just like, I don't want to know anything about this. You know, you always say don't read the comments, right? It was very like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I should pay attention to this. And I just blocked and I deleted and I went to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, I had emails from two journalists asking if I wanted to comment on the situation. And I was like, oh, this is going to be like a whole thing, isn't it? Um, but it's funny. I kept thinking it's been about a month since that from since that first moment. And I'd say about at the end of every week, I thought, well, that's probably all that's going to come of this, right? This is going to die down now. And that was sort of the end. And then every week, another thing has happened. So... Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been very strange. Contrary to some of the disinformation out there, you've said there are no depictions of pedophilia in your book. You note in your piece that the go-to attack against a wide variety of queer books is to label them pornographic. Mm. What's your response to parents who are concerned that your memoir is inappropriate for their kids? I mean, my first response would be, please read the whole book. In many news articles I've read about parents complaining about the book, the parent will directly state, I have not read the whole book. A lot of it is about a young person struggling with identity, struggling with sexuality, coming out. And then another major theme of the book is asexuality. And actually, one of the main things that I talk about is how I was very uncomfortable around the concepts of sex as a teen. And I was very un unready to engage with sexuality until I was in my early 20s. And part of that was because, yeah, of a lack of education around queer sexuality and like safe queer sex. And like those sorts of topics were not taught when I was in high school. And it meant that like the information I had about queer sexuality as a teen was super limited. I was assigned to read Plato's Symposium when I was in high school. I thought it was a very engaging book. And it was also as far as I can remember, the only book like about that had the queerness in it that I was ever that I was assigned to read in high school. So of course I latched onto it because it was like the only thing I was given. You mentioned in your op-ed a few other books that kept you company through those years of questioning. You're obviously absolutely right about sort of the dearth of this material, especially in the early 2000s. But there were a few books that helped you. Can you talk about those and and I guess your book would be very much in that same tradition. I was given almost nothing about queerness when I was in school, but I did have access to a wonderful public library that had many queer books. And that was so, so important to me as a teenager. And I really sought them out. Like I was going through the shelves trying to find like every example of a queer character. And a lot of them were manga series, which again, not the best representation, but there were some graphic novels that I've absolutely fell in love with. One was Skim by Mariko and Jillian Tamaki, which is a book that has been banned many times and has appeared many times on the American Library Association's banned book list. Another one was Stuck Rubber Baby by Howard Cruz. Howard Cruz is considered one of the founders of sort of queer comics community in America and a recent documentary about him and other early queer comics, No Straight Lines. 
came out. I'm actually quoted very briefly in that documentary. And I just can't overemphasize how important it was to me as a queer teen to be able to discover queer books on library shelves. Like nobody was telling me to read them and they weren't part of the classroom curriculum, although I do think some of them could have been. But like just having them there to discover was so important. And that's one thing that really distresses me about this whole situation of banning books is like queer kids so often have to look outside of their own homes and look outside of the education system to find information. And yes, there's the internet, but sometimes you don't even know what to Google if you really don't know anything about yourself. And also the internet is rife with misinformation. So like I really, I really... I really wish people would just leave the queer books on the shelves and because queer teens need them. Queer teens need them to be there to find them. And there are a lot of queer teens. We'll be right back after a short break. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This was a book that was in high school libraries, not elementary school or middle school libraries. And this was not part of the curriculum. This wasn't being taught. We could talk about, you know, parents could debate whether it should be or not. This was a book that was available in a high school library in Fairfax County, which is one of the most liberal counties in the state of Virginia, the D.C. suburbs. You mentioned sort of the effect that this could have on LGBTQ youth when queer books are removed or restricted. And it's not just yours. The American Library Association, which tracks these challenges, restrictions and bans, recorded that the number one most challenged book last year was Melissa's Story, which was previously titled George by Alex Gino, a narrative of a trans elementary schooler. It sounds like your parents were supportive. You came out as queer to your mom as a senior in high school. For others whose parents may not be so supportive, it it feels like it would be even more important to be able to get some of these materials. There are queer teens, I promise, in every single high school where this book is being challenged. And some of them, yeah, if their parents are not supportive and it isn't safe for them to maybe buy this book or have it in their home, the only way they might be able to access is maybe going into a library and reading it in the library without checking it out. And it's really devastating to to think about books like being removed from libraries and being banned. And like you said, the number one most banned book in last year, according to ALA, was a book about a trans character. But a lot of the other banned books were also books that talked about anti-racism efforts and things like Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism and You was another, was the second most banned book. So it's like, these are the topics that are getting attacked. Issues around racism in America and issues around trans characters seem to be like the two was like hottest banned topics lately. It does appear to be driven by this this reactionary element in the country that is frustrated that the world as they want it to be seen is is no longer in their control. And it's inevitable. Like these tides are not going to be turned back. It's 
sometimes to, to attempt to comfort myself, I'll think like, you know, these people are, yeah, they're reacting because they know that they're on the losing side of the culture war. And this is sort of like an angry effort because they know the tides are already turned against them. But it's still going to, it can still hurt people, even knowing like the majority of public opinion on queer people and trans people has become more and more favorable over the years. That doesn't make one individual queer teen's life any less miserable if they have unsupportive parents, if they're in an unsupportive school district. Fairfax County is doing a 45-day review. Your book has not been permanently removed. There is a scenario where they finish this review process and they put this book back in the library. Do you have hope for that? I am hopeful, but even if it doesn't get returned, I think that a lot of people have read the book because it's been banned. I actually got two or three specific emails from people saying, I saw your book was banned, so I went and read it and I enjoyed it. Um, And also in the Fairfax County situation, there's a group called the Pride Liberation Project, which is a collection of over 400 LGBTQIA students from over 30 schools who all grouped together and wrote a letter and sent it in in early October to the school board defending my book and then the other book, Lawn Boy, that's been part of this controversy. And then just defending in general the right of access to information and going against censorship. So again, it's like, I, I hate that this is happening, but I think a lot of teens actually are really being inspired by this to sort of stand up for something. Um, to Teens from the Fairfax School District did reach out to me directly, one of whom I quote in my piece. And that teen actually attended one of the school board meetings and said that they were there with a sign to support the book. And they were there with like the queer student group and the young Democrats group. And I was so proud of that teenager. I was just, I don't know. I I was such an unpolitical teen. I don't think it ever would have occurred to me like before I was in college to do something like attend a city council meeting or a school board meeting. So it's like, it's kind of amazing to me that these teens are this hooked into current events. And like, I'm very proud of them for standing up for what they believe in. I just hope they stay safe. Like they definitely, this teen mentioned getting shouted at and coughed at by people who are protesting the book, which is, you know, nasty. That is nasty. And you do quote from the the note, and it, it is quite moving. Uh, this, this student wrote, my mom and I read your book. I loved it. I related to almost everything you said. I felt so understood and not alone. I think my mom understands me better, and I'm more confident in confiding in her since she read your book. Thank you so much for creating your memoir. <laughs> my final question is about your second book that you're working on now. Does this whole controversy affect your art at all? Does it give you inspiration or motivation or sharpen your thinking on on what you're working on next? Yes and no. I mean, the next book I'm working on is already completely written and completely thumbnailed and is in the pitch stage. So if there are any publishers listening, feel free to reach out to my agent. <laughs> um, so that one is already kind of like, the story is already written for that one. But I'm sure that all of this, the situation of the book being banned, is going to come up in my art later. And I'm sure there will be ripple effects later on the down the line. I tend to be someone who prefers to respond to things very slowly. I like a lot of time to think about something before I speak on it, which made, you know, the prospect of speaking to you today was a little nerve wracking because I was like, can I respond to something that's still ongoing? I have a very uh, slow takes only (laughs) perspective on life. Um, 
but I'm positive that I will end up making comics and work about this later on. And that's another factor is like whenever people, um, let's just say maybe people send uh, questionable emails to a memoir writer. It's like, you know that these words may end up appearing in work later on. Maybe someday there will be a genderqueer sequel and this incident may indeed be a chapter in it. Well, thank you for talking to us before then. And and I appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much, Maya. Yeah, thank you for talking to me today. A spokesperson for Fairfax County Public Schools told me after the interview that the review process for the two books that were pulled from the libraries is ongoing and they should have a resolution in the next couple of weeks. The Virginia governor's election is Tuesday. Polls show a toss-up. When President Biden campaigned with McAuliffe in Virginia earlier this week, aides to the Democratic candidate handed out copies of Beloved to the press corps. Please Go On is produced and mixed by Julie Deppenbrock, with editing from Allison Michaels, Renita Jablonski, and Ruth Marcus. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. You can find the link to Maya's illustrated op-ed in our show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating and review. It helps new listeners find us. I'm James Holman, and I'll be back next Friday with another episode because there's always more to say.